great scene. Welcome to Creekside, everyone. You can just have a seat for just a minute. If you are a newcomer here today, uh, we are really excited to have you, and we'd love to get to know you better. There are uh, slips of paper under each seat. Uh, if you would grab one, fill it out, and uh, share it with someone back at the welcome table, that's a, a great way for us to follow up with you and uh, get to know you a little better. Um, quick reminder, tonight there is a uh, gathering here for uh, fellowship, food, and maybe a little bit of football for those that are interested in that kind of thing. Um, so everyone is welcome. Uh, feel free to come bring, you know, your favorite uh, side dish or dessert or whatever. So um, everyone is welcome to that. And in just a moment, we're going to pass the offering. <clears throat> uh, we did want to share uh, something that was a bit of uh, kind of unexpected and sad news this week. Uh, Sam Webb, who many of you would know as a former pastor at all of that, uh, Baptist Church, uh, passed away suddenly this week. And, um, you know, our hearts are, are really heavy and grieving for uh, his family, uh, for Brenda and the kids. And uh, we just, we want to lift them up in prayer. And um, let's just do that now before we pass the offering. Father, we thank you that you are a God for every season of our life, whether it is joy or sadness all the days ordained for us were written in your book before one of them came to be lord your your thoughts are precious to us and lord as our hearts are are heavy and uh, grieving we just pray that you would bring peace and understanding to sam's family lord we know that he is with you that every hurt and sorrow and pain has been washed away but lord for those of us here um, that hurt is is real that pain is there and we just pray that you would bring peace and a reminder uh, that you are a god who is in control uh, we lift these things to you it's in your name we pray father as we pass this offering now we pray that we would give with joyful hearts uh, as we remember what you have done for us it's in your name we pray amen You guys can have a seat. Uh, this is an exciting morning. Uh, we have a baptism in store. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Steve. Good to have you here worshiping with us this morning. I'm going to uh, welcome Colby here in a few minutes, but uh, I wanted to just uh, let you know a little bit about what we're doing here. For some of you, this may be a little new or a strange experience because uh, when we do a baptism, we get it, the person gets completely wet. And uh, because we do not believe that baptism is what causes a person to come into a relationship with Christ, we believe that baptism is a declaration that they have come into that relationship with Christ. It doesn't accomplish their salvation, it attests to their salvation. And so when we do baptism, we bring the person in and they go completely into the water and come up out of the water. It symbolizes a lot of different things, but it is merely a symbol. It symbolizes their identification with Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrections. Therefore, they go down into the water and they come up out of the water. It symbolizes their having been washed by the blood of Christ through the, their in, being in the water and coming up out of the water. And so when uh, I'm going to come, uh, have Colby come in just a minute or two, but I'm going to read his, uh, his testimony or uh, declaration of how it is that he came to personal faith in Jesus Christ because we believe that it's a personal faith.
faith or a trust in what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for our sins, it brings a person into a relationship with uh, God and our Heavenly Father and gives us the promise of salvation and the, and the hope of eternal life and actually the reality of eternal life. So here's what Kobe wrote. He says, my brother and I watched all dogs go to heaven with our grandma. Uh, she told us that not everyone goes to heaven because of sin, that we need to ask Jesus to forgive our sins and to ask him uh, into our hearts, that he died on the cross for our sins and that he loves us. And so grandma asked us if we wanted to pray and uh, Cooper said yes, and he prayed out loud right then. I told Grandma later that I prayed that day too. And so, Colby, if you'll come in here, my friend, and uh, yeah, there you go, buddy. Uh, and I'll uh, careful now. All right. Yeah. Okay. You stand right there. Okay. Now, Colby. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ and his death and that alone as a payment for your sins? Yes. Do you understand that what you're about to do is just an outward and visible sign of the spiritual reality that's taking place in your heart? Okay. So, you want to get ready? Okay. There you go. Then, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, you can open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We are continuing our series in 1 John, and we are in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. I do think it's important to get the, you know, the most important things out of the way first, and just like it'd be known that Timothy Darla scored 17 points this week in the game. Is that right? So, yeah, that's, uh, that's about half as good as I was back in the day, but you're, you're getting there. Right on, Andy? Yeah, Mr. Briggs? Amen. Yeah, he's not paying attention to me. Okay. Uh, so, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, 19 through 24, this is what it says. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for the finished work on the cross. God, we thank you even to witness this morning Colby and God, just his profession in you and his desire and dedication to follow your son Jesus, that he once was dead and he's now alive. What a cool thing 
uh, to sit here and see that and be reminded of Jesus and what he has done and the finished work on the cross. Uh, God, as we look at 1 John, God, we, we want to be challenged. Uh, God, in, in some of our cases, we, we want our hearts to condemn us and to show us, uh, God, to draw to you and that we may come in confidence to you, our great advocate. So God, this morning we pray that you would speak to us, challenge our hearts. Uh, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was thinking about Sam uh, the last couple days and, and just, you know, heart saddened by a loss. And I, I was thinking even uh, having lunch with him right up the street here and thinking about just some of the words that he challenged me with. Uh, Sam was a, was a guy who was, had great wisdom. And it didn't take me long to figure out that that was the truth as I sat down and had lunch with him. And he's, he's encouraging me, but he also, really for the first time in my life, somebody pointed out and said, hey, you know, Kyle, here's some strengths, but I see this in you. And I think this is a fear that you're dealing with. And I'm like, for the first time, somebody spoke that truth to me, and it was like freeing. It's like, you're right on. And maybe something I hadn't realized about myself, and maybe something that, uh, you know, God using him and his wisdom spoke to him. And, I was challenged, I was encouraged, and uh, Sam made a, an impact even in the short time that I knew him in my life, and I know he has in your life. And so I think it's important to reflect, uh, we thank God for a life well lived, don't we? And for just a guy uh, who was an encourager, who was full of wisdom, who impacted many of our lives, and we're, we're thankful for that. And sometimes we reflect on that, we think of, of death, and we're reminded of our own lives, and that it's fleeting, and we're reminded of what we need to do with our lives and how we should live with him, uh, live for him. And I was, uh, back in November, I did a funeral for a close friend of mine. His name was Jeff. And about three or four months prior to that, his wife Connie had come to me and asked me if I'd do the funeral. And I was honored that they would even ask. And so Jeff was, was dying of cancer. And I got to spend a lot of time with him uh, leading up to his death in November. And in the last month or five weeks, uh, before he died, he, he was in hospice. And so as I'm talking to him, he had a, I, I was there often. He had a lot of guests come in and out. And I remember one particular guest uh, one day, one of his friends was there, and we were, we were talking. And Jeff, like, like many people who death is in front of them and they know it's coming, that, you know, there's questions and there's fears and there's doubts and there's all these things going on. And so his friends there is like, yeah, you know, I guess we never really know until we're dead. We never know what's on the other side until we're gone. And there's some truth that, you know, now we know in part and someday we'll know in full. But what I see here in the words of John is that we can know. We can have assurance. We can have confidence. We can know. I want to read two, two of these verses for you really quick. Look at verse 19. Here's what he says. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Verse 24, uh, God commands, live in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We have this confidence. We have this assurance of our relationship with him. Our future is secure. We know. We know. Isn't that an awesome thing? And my conversation with Jeff and his friend is, like, we can know. And listen, this, is, this isn't some, uh, you know, matter of, of natural arrogance, like, hey, man, you can know this, but rather a matter of biblical confidence. Right? I don't come to him like, I got it all figured out, man. No, I come to him and tell him, like, this, this is what the word of God says. 
This is what the Bible says. And I'm confident, not because of anything I've done or I know, but I'm confident because it says I can know. We know. We know. We know. And there's this confidence that comes not from ourselves, not the arrogance born of ourselves, but the confidence and born of the Scripture. And so I think what we can see here from 1 John and what John is telling us is that we can be assured. We can have confidence in our relationship with Jesus and our belief upon the truth and our future being secure. We can know. There's four things, and uh, I, I really enjoy Steve. You know, he's an average guy and an average preacher. But one thing I really enjoy about him, uh, no, he's above average preacher. Uh, but one of the things I, I really enjoy is alliteration. So I, I love alliteration, so we're going to continue with the alliteration this morning. And so here's our four po- key points this morning. Condemnation we face, uh, the, the confidence we gain, the command we obey, and the communion we enjoy. The condemnation we face, the confidence we gain, the command we enjoy, uh, obey, and the communion we enjoy. We can gain confidence and assurance of who we are in our relationship with him. And here's four things uh, we want to see. If you look at verse 19, it says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in our presence. If our hearts condemn us, our hearts condemn us. We want to remember here uh, that John is speaking to believers. He's talking to believers. This is a message to believers. And what I think he wants us to understand is, listen, your hearts will condemn you. Your hearts, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, will condemn you, will accuse you. This is what it means. Uh, He's telling us this is not something that's unusual. It's not something that's infrequent, right? Your hearts will condemn you. This is a natural thing. I I was uh, listening uh, to Tim Keller this week, and he was uh, speaking on this portion of Scripture, and he was talking about uh, prayer specifically through this portion. But one thing that he said that kind of stuck out to me uh, was stating that a condemning heart can be a sign that we have actually moved towards God and towards his presence. When we have moved towards his presence, our hearts condemn us. A condemning heart can be a sign that we are moving towards God and towards his presence. What does that mean? I think of the story in Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 6 is a cool story, and it's a story that's familiar. We see Isaiah, and Isaiah is in the presence of God, and here is God Almighty. The train of his robe fills the temple with glory, and we get this great picture of the holiness of God. And there is Isaiah encountering God in his presence, and what is Isaiah's response? Woe is me. Woe is me. When he encounters God, and he encounters him in his presence, It's a condemning heart, right? When we near the presence of God, when we are drawing to God, our hearts condemn us because we realize, you know what, there are things in my life, there are ways in my life where I I don't measure up. There are ways, and my character does not align with the character of God. I was sitting here last week, and uh, Steve gave uh, just an awesome message last week and challenged by what I heard. And as you listen to it, right, we, we need to love in action and in truth. And I listened to that, that quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'm thinking to myself, man, my heart condemned me. Like, there are areas in my life where my character 
are not in line with the character of God. And this wasn't meant to be, you know, I'm not thinking like, okay, duty or guilt, I got these things I need to do and then I'm done, right? Duty or guilt, that's going to keep us going for a little while. But when we're motivated by what God has done through his son Jesus, man, that's a motivation that lasts forever, right? It lasts for a lifetime. It motivates us forever. And so I'm thinking this, and I'm, I'm listening to this message. I'm like, man, there's, there's areas in my life where I'm not in line with the character of God. And my heart was condemning me. My heart was showing me, okay, there are things in my life that I need to get right, right? There's things in my life that I need to do that I need to draw near to God. And it's those moments that I realize, like, they're sweet moments, aren't they? When our heart condemns us, maybe it's sin in our life. Maybe it's just an area where I'm not, I'm not loving, uh, I'm not... Uh, showing grace or I'm not showing mercy, I'm not showing the uh, character of God, that I, I realize that, okay, I need to get my heart in line with God. And so the Bible tells us, right, our heart will condemn us. Uh, we also see that the enemy will condemn us as well. If you look in Revelation chapter 12, it tells us that he, our enemy, Satan, he accuses us. He accuses us. He condemns us. And so there's, there's a difference though, right? Because when the enemy accuses us, Right? It's unjustified. He'll speak lies to us. But when our heart condemns us, it can oftentimes be justified. That, again, areas in my life where maybe my character not in line with the character of God. Uh, verse 18 goes on to say, Let us not love with words. Uh, verse 18 that sh uh, Steve shared last week. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And as I heard that, and I, I, I wanted to share that C.S. Lewis quote, because this is the, the part that got me. He says, loving everybody in general may not be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. And how easy it is just to kind of go about, be a nice guy, do all these things, but when you invest time and energy and love into someone's life, it takes, man, that's, that's exhausting. It takes time. And so I was, I was moved by that quote. I was moved by that passion, just realizing that my own heart was condemning me Hey, listen, don't just love in words and speech, but in action and truth. And so I think what we see here as John is, is sharing this, we get this picture of almost like this trial that's taking place. And in this trial, we get the judge, right? God is the judge. And there we are. We are the defendant. And the accuser is our heart. Right? And so we get the picture. God the judge, me the defendant, and the accuser, my heart. And so as we see this, there, there's a transition, though, because we read it. If our hearts condemn us, so here we are, our hearts condemning us. Then you see in verse 21, if uh, we have confidence, at the end of verse 21, it says we have confidence before God. So somewhere we go to the fact that our hearts are condemning us to having confidence in God. Well, how does that happen? Right? And so we see our hearts condemn us, and I think part of that assurance in Jesus assurance in our faith, assurance in our position of Jesus is that our hearts do condemn us. I think that's probably an indication that I'm right with Jesus is the fact that, you know what, if, if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, my heart would probably never condemn me. I probably wouldn't have sat here last week and listened to that message and say, you know what, there are things in my life that, that maybe I'm not in line with. And I think the sign of someone who follows Jesus and loves Jesus and has assurance in our faith is that we sit here and realize, yeah, there are areas and, and things in my life that are not in line with God and not in line with what he asks of me in pursuit of his kingdom. 
And so I think one of the things that we see and we have assurance is the fact that, yes, our hearts do condemn us. It is part of following Jesus that we know there are areas in our life that we're not in line with God. But there, this condemning heart, and we get to the spot that God condemned, or that our hearts condemn us to the spot that we can have confidence in God. Right? There's a transition. So the question is, how do we get to that second point? The confidence we gain. Listen again here in verse 20. It says, if our hearts condemn us, and here's the key, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Right? He knows everything. I use that to spook my kids sometimes. He knows everything. My son's been trying to kind of hide his phone and get it into his room at night so he can play games on it. Caught him the other night, right? And this is what I use. Hey, God sees you, right? He knows everything. It's a spook story we tell our kids. But that's not the point here, right? We have confidence because our heart accuses us. But what does John say? God is greater than our heart. <laughs> Isn't that an awesome truth? My heart accuses me, but I don't stay in that position. You know, if I sat here last week and I hear that message and I'm challenged, and then I could just mope around, I'm not good enough. And I can't live up. There's nothing I can do. My life is in ruin. And I can sit there, right? It's like Isaiah who said, there, woe is me. But then God reaches out. And we have confidence because God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. God knows our love for our brothers and sisters can be weak, like me. He knows our motives. He knows the resolve of our hearts. He knows where we are in our spiritual condition. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He sees our allegiance. He sees our faulting obedience. But since God knows us better than we know ourselves, that even in our limits, there is evidence of this relationship with God. Even in my faults, even in my failures, you know, God knows everything. He knows. He knows of my relationship, my pursuit of him. And I think he looks at his children that aren't doing so well. And so when our heart comes to us as that accuser, we need to remember that God is greater than our heart. That's such an awesome truth, isn't it? God is greater our heart looks to condemn, but God does not. And I think in those moments, and even in that moment as I sit last week and I listen to the message and I'm challenged, God, I got, I got to focus on the truth of God's word. I got to focus on his mercy. I got to remind myself of the truths of God. Because it's so easy. If you're like me, I sit there and all of a sudden I focus on my failures. And all of a sudden the enemy and that accuser begins to accuse me. Oh, you're not good enough. You fail fall short, and I hear the words of the accuser. But God is greater. God is greater than my heart that even condemns me. And instead of focusing on me, I need to focus on the truth of God's word. I even think of, of Jesus being tempted, right? The enemy tempts Jesus, and right, un, unjustified, but he, uh, he tempts Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? With the truth. He knew scripture, and he spoke scripture. Listen, when we stand accused, and maybe my heart condemns me, and even in that moment, my heart condemns me last week, I remind myself of truth, to know truth, and, and to spend time in the truth. I mean, this is one of the greatest things we can do is we, we look to go from a, a heart that condemns to having confidence in God is reminding myself of this great truth. 
these great truths found in the Word of God. As I sat with Jeff uh, in, in hospice and talking to him, and one of the discussions we had is he, he was struggling with all this. See, in, in one area, he told me, he says, Kyle, I, I feel that God is punishing me for the sins in my life. Right? And so we had this long discussion, and we're talking, and I said, okay, you got two things in play. One, I think the enemy is accusing you, right? The enemy is showing you where you fall short and how you failed and how you're not good enough, and the enemy will do that often to us. We don't we feel we measure up, and I think that's in play. But I also think your heart is condemning you because you know, see, see Jeff came to Jesus at an early age. He was baptized when he was 15 years old, but then he walked away from God. And I said, listen, Jeff, I think God is, is, I think your heart is condemning you because you realize that your character now is out of line with the character of God. And there are things in your life that, hey, listen, he's trying to draw you to him. And some, God will use extreme measures, won't he? God will allow things in our life to draw him to you. I asked Jeff, what, what's your favorite story in the Bible? And I asked him weeks before that. So oh, my favorite story is the story of Jonah. And I said, I mean, look at the story of Jonah. Look what God allowed in his life and why. I mean, God's purpose was to draw him back to him, that, God, that Jonah would then go out and share this message of good news, right? And God would go to great lengths to capture the heart of Jonah, just like you. He would go to great lengths to capture your heart. And so in one way, yes, the enemy condemns you. And in another way, your heart condemns you. But our response is the same. In either way, we look to the truths of Scripture, don't we? When the enemy condemns me or my heart condemns me, I go to Scripture, and I look to the truths, and we, we, and we did exactly that, to look to the truths of Scripture. And that's how we combat it. That's how we find confidence, confidence in Jesus, confidence in going to the Father and dealing with the condemning heart. Either way, it's truth. I even see the story of the prodigal son, right? You got the story of the prodigal son who's this rebellious son, and then there's a whole other message, but you got the rebellious son at home, and Probably the heart's the same. But this guy goes, he leaves, right? And there he is in a pigsty, and his heart is condemned. And he prepares this speech to go home and just to be a servant. And what's the response? His, his heart condemns him. He goes home, and what's the father's response? And he throws a party, fine clothes, fine food, all of this. And such a sweet story and a sweet picture. That is, our heart condemns us and draws us back to the Father. The Father's response is, yeah, here I am, drawn to our presence. And so condemning heart, condemning heart is not a bad thing, right? It draws us to God. It draws us to his presence. When we deal with our condemning hearts in this way and remind ourselves that the Lord accepts us, then we can come before him and find answers to our prayers. Let me read that again for you. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is great, greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Isn't that cool? Now, when I turn to him, my heart condemns, I turn to him, I find this confidence because God is greater than my heart. We find this confidence to come to him. He says, we can ask whatever. He even goes on in, in uh, 1 John 5, and Steve will touch on this, I'm sure, in a few weeks, but this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what he asked of him. What a, what a cool thing. Now, I'm not going to get into the, I'll let, you know, Steve gets paid the big bucks for that. So in a couple weeks, he's, he's going to dive into that more. But what, what a cool truth. I think what takes place here as we begin, look at even Isaiah. And as Isaiah is before God, he encounters God. His heart is condemned. Woe is me. And then he's like, God, send me, right? Here I am, send me. And I think something cool happens. As we gain this confidence before God, as, as our heart condemns us, and then we gain this confidence before God, I think our heart begins to align. Our mission begins to align with God. And now it's not about asking, you know, hey, God, I, I need a new car, or I, I need some more money, or I, I need to see the Cyclones win a road game. You know, these aren't the things that we're asking for, right? Our hearts begin to align with God and his mission as we begin to draw near to him, as we begin to have confidence to go before him. And you get this picture that it's no longer, okay, we got the judge and we got the defendant, but now here I am, that he's now my advocate. And now he speaks on my behalf. What an amazing thing. I can boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace. Right? Boldly approach. Because this confidence I have because of what he has done and who he is. Condemning, condemnation, confidence. The third thing we see is command. There's a command we obey. Uh, verse 22 says, And receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I think you can look around Christianity today and you see an issue, because there are people who are like, Ah, you know, we have all this freedom in Jesus. We can do whatever we want. We're fine. And it's true that we have freedom in Christ, no doubt. But I think there's a disconnect because they'll talk about, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's not the Jesus. That's not the God of the New Testament. Well, the reality is, right, it's the same God. The character of God has not changed from the Old Testament and New Testament. The only thing that changed was Jesus took upon the wrath of God for us. Jesus went to the cross. But the command for us to obey, to follow his words, it, it is there. And we are commanded as followers of Jesus to then follow those commands. And so John here says, we obey his commands and we do what pleases him. He's saying to live within his guidelines. So is then John, is he off base with this? No, right? What's John doing? Well, he's just taking, hey, you know what I heard Jesus say? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so the words of John here are just echoing the words of Jesus, that if we love Jesus, we will follow his commands. And Steve has pointed this out, but listen, following his commands does not make a relationship with Jesus, right? It does not find acceptance. But it's the other way around, is that when we have found acceptance in God, when we, like Colby, right, when we've made that decision to follow Jesus, then our response to that, the response to what God has done and who he is and this great thing that Jesus has done for us, on the, our, our response is like, man, we can't help but go out and follow his commands because we're compelled by the love that he has shown us. Right? We don't do it so we can gain favor. We do it because we've already found favor in the finished work of Jesus. And so we're compelled. We're compelled to follow his commands. We're compelled to follow him. And so John says there's two ways in which we do this. Verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So the first command we get is to believe in the name of Jesus. 
to believe in his identity and his reality, right? To believe he is divine, to believe he is eternal, to believe he is the Son of God, to believe in the name of Jesus and all that name and all he is and all he represents. And that is what it is to believe on the name of Jesus. And there is nothing greater than that. And I love this picture, right, this morning uh, to, to watch Colby be baptized because this is the picture, right, as we watch that. What, what, I mean, wouldn't it be sweet to do that every week? Love to see that every week. And so he, here we are. We see this picture, this picture of following a command, really, but to follow Jesus. And it's a picture of, hey, once I was dead and now I've been made alive. Once I was lost and now I'm found. Once I was broken, and now I've been healed in Jesus. And so this command for us is first, hey, know, trust, love Jesus. That's the command. And that's the command that matters most, right? Because if we don't know that, then anything else that follows is pretty pointless. But he says you must know and you must trust Jesus. This is the command, to know, to believe, to follow Jesus. And the second command he gives us, is by, uh, and this is his command, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and the second one, to love one another as he has commanded us to do. To love one another. We've heard a lot about that in First John, haven't we? To love one another. A verse we've heard before, by this, we, this will all men know you are my disciples when you love one another. Right? An indication that we are followers of Jesus is that we love each other, that we truly love each other. It's a sign to the world, the world. I mean, John, uh, Jesus even says, hey, the world's going to know, or God said, the Father's going to send the Son because my people are one, right? There's a oneness, there's a love, there's a unity among his people, and the world will see it, and they will recognize it. And so we're commanded, yeah, you know, to know and believe in Jesus, but also to love one another. And you see a lot of people in the world doing good. I mean, you can see people all over the world, they give their time, their energy, uh, their money, their resources to do good. But these commands go hand in hand here, right? And there's a reason one's before the other. And what John's pointing out is just not about doing good in the world, just not going out there and giving your money and doing all these things. But we must first know Jesus to have a relationship with Jesus. Because I go out and I do these good works and it has nothing to do, it's not focused and centered on the love of Jesus and the kingdom, then you know, in the end, it's really all for nothing. And so John points out, man, we need to know and to love Jesus and to believe upon Jesus, and then we need to love one another. And it's such a theme with that, right? Love God, love people, the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love people. I mean, John telling us that there, hey, to know and to love Jesus, to have that relationship with Jesus, then, man, to love one another. This is what it boils down to. So we see condemnation confidence, a command we obey, and finally the last one is a communion we enjoy. Verse 24 says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. There's a communion that takes place, right? these commands that John was just talking about, that I have a relationship with Jesus, that I know Jesus, that I love with the, that I have this love for other people. When I follow that, I am in him and he is in me. And there's this beautiful picture of unity, 
right? There's this beautiful picture that we're, we're interwoven. I mean, even when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's a beautiful thing, and it's a good thing for me because he doesn't want to see me. But I put my faith and my hope and my, my trust in Jesus, and when God looks at me, man, my, my, my life is interwoven with Jesus, and that's what he sees when he looks at me. We're going to come here in a few moments, and we're going to break bread together, and we're going to think about this great wonder, this great thing, and this God who rules the universe would send his only son to die for men and women who are blemished like you and I, right? Who are broken like you and I. He sent his son for us. We didn't deserve it. Yet he found worth in us. Loved us so much that he gave us his son. I uh, took the kids to a movie recently, and we loved it so much we went back. It's a really good movie, too. It's The Greatest Showman. Have you seen that? Oh, man, phenomenal. Let's just talk about that for a little bit. Uh, no, but I love that movie. But I love the theme of the movie because there's so many, there's like a gospel truth in this movie. And I think about who I once was. And so the story of P.T. Barnum, and I don't think the story is accurate, but we're just going to go off the movie version of it because it's pretty cool. But he takes these people who are the world rejected, who like, couldn't find any worth in themselves, who were ugly and all these things, and yet he found worth in them. And they, man, they believed in him because of it. And, and I, I thought about that and watching this movie and there's this, man, there's a powerful song in it. And even in that song, I'm like, man, there is so much gospel truth in that song. It wasn't written for that, but you see it in there. Is that God would find such favor and people, listen, we, we are blemished, right? I mean, you, you start shining like bright lights on you and you can see zits that were like 30 years ago that still left a mark, right? And so we're, we are blemished people and we see it and the light brings it those blemishes. And so we, we are blemished people. We are broken people. We are bruised people. We are people that, you know, like in and of ourselves, it makes no sense that God would send his son to die for us. Yet that's, that's what he's done. Undeserving people. And God has sent his son that we may have life, and not only life, but abundant life. That we are now not just broken people, but man, we are we are people who now have a purpose. We are people that now have a meaning. We are people that now, through Jesus, have such great significance. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's a lost and a broken world, a dying world that needs to know that truth, that they can find favor, that they can find hope, that they can find new life in Jesus. And it's an amazing truth. And so for us to know and experience what God has done and remember what God has done for us in, in Jesus, in his body being broken and his blood being shed, man, that, that should motivate us to love one another. That should motivate us to share this incredible message of hope that a lost and a dying world can also experience what we have, significance and new life and purpose, not found in ourself, not found in our own doings, but found in Jesus Christ alone. I, I, the, my favorite song is like, this is me, and there's just a few lines. It, it talks about uh, the, letting the shame sink in. I won't let the shame sink in. We are bursting through the barricades. We're reaching for the sun. We are warriors, and that's what we've become. 
I love the picture in that because here these people were lost, they were broken, they had no significance, but in a person they found meaning. And to me, it was a picture of what we found in Jesus. We have found meaning, we have found purpose, we have found new life, whole life, abundant life, no longer broken, but healed, no longer lost, but found. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for the new life that we find in him. Now, God, we look and we see the words here. And God, we know that our hearts may condemn us. Our hearts may condemn us. Even this morning, God, as we hear this message, our hearts may condemn us. And God, what an opportunity for us then to draw and seek and be near you. And God, you are there and you are greater than our heart that condemns us. And God, in you, we can find confidence to boldly approach. God, to come to you with confidence. Now, God, as we hear the words of John, may, God, may they change and transform our life, uh, that you would cause us to live differently. And God, uh, this morning, as we look to the bread and the juice, may we be reminded of this great thing that you've done in your son, Jesus. And God, how we are new creations. We have a new purpose. We have a new mission. And like Isaiah, when we encounter your presence, we can't help but say, woe is me. But you've come and you've touched us. You've healed us. And now we, like Isaiah, we want to be about your mission. Send me. Send me to a, a world that needs this message, that needs this hope that only you can provide. God, we come this morning to remember Jesus, to think upon Jesus. So we thank you for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.